mindfulness mode. Lighten up a little bit and step back and play with your kids. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here with an expert on the topic of parenting. And I love the title of her book. It's A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution. So it's going to be interesting talking about parenting and how it relates to mindfulness. Uh, my, my guest is a pediatric nurse practitioner. She's an acupuncturist. She's a parenting specialist, as I already mentioned. She's a mom and so many other things as well. I'm here today, Mindful Tribe, with Julie Hatch. Julie, are you in mindfulness mode? I am. Got a center, take some breaths, and then I'm ready to go. <laughs> that is great. What does mindfulness mean to you, Julie? So mindfulness, and I go, you know, it's kind of a definition that John Kabat-Zinn gives it, which I completely agree with, that it is um, being present in the moment, in the here and now, without thinking about what's happening in the future, without dwelling on what's happened in the past, right here, right now, with no judgment, not calling it good or bad, but you're just right here, no judgment, but just being mindfully, just being accepting what's happening in the moment. Yeah. And how does that apply to us as parents? How can we be more mindful as a parent? Because we're constantly putting out fires, dealing with issues, trying to trying to do the very best for our children. Yeah, it's um, which makes means that it's really all the more important to be mindful because we are we're running in a thousand different directions as our, our children and you're putting out fires, trying to get food on the table. So it's, which makes it all the more important to take a minute or two and breathe. And I'm big into spending a little bit of time, not a lot, connecting with your child, you know, putting the phone down, sitting, stopping all the rigmarole and the rushing around for just a couple of minutes and really connect with them. And I think that that goes a long way with kids. And so that takes some mindfulness. It means you got to pay attention trying not to judge what's happening in the moment, but just being with your child, talking with them, listening to them, actually talking less and listening more um, and, and just paying attention to what's going on with them and your relationship with them. And what happens when something goes wrong? What do you, what do you teach about timeouts and some of these kinds of things that parents use with children when, when something just doesn't go the way it's supposed to? Well, that could be a whole nother discussion because your phrase doesn't go as it's supposed to. It means that it's the parent thinking that something is supposed to happen the way that they expect. Of course, if you're talking about serious misbehavior, then that's something different. But things don't always go as we expect. And I am a big believer that a lot of behavior, misbehavior, challenging behavior comes from something going on in the kid. It is their way of expressing that something is not right in their inner world. It's not that they are out to get you. <laughs> Sometimes it can feel like it. They are just expressing that just they're afraid or they're anxious or something is not feeling good. And so they express it through be through bad behavior, challenging behavior. I don't really like to call it that. <laughs> well, I certainly see that all the time when I go into schools, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I see that behavior sometimes coming out and, and I think, how can I be compassionate in this moment to try to deal with this situation? And it's not always easy, but I think that it, it helps if you can look at it that way. What do you have to say about, about screen time and devices and this, this giant problem that we have as parents where it just feels like, you know, it's so difficult to control this? 
Yeah, it is definitely a big problem. And everyone that I've talked with so far in this series um, brings that up because it is such a big issue with kids. And I think that my responses are, or my response is that technology is here. We've, I don't think it does us any good to hide it or make it go away or not allow it into our house because that doesn't teach them how to be responsible with it. So we want to model the behavior, the responsible behavior with technology, um, not being on it all the time, not being on the phone at dinner time, whatever you want to see in your kids, you um, set that example and that's a good start. I think that we need to, depending on the, the age of the child, we need to know where, where they are online, where they're going, who they're talking with, what's happening. And I used to think that that was sort of um, imposing on my kids, but, but no, because I've heard stories of what happens when parents don't do that, when parents just have no idea what's going on, it can be a problem. So be nosy, look to see what's going on. Don't, don't sacrifice trust with your child, but be nosy and tell them that you want to know what's going on. There's a certain number of pediatricians, the American Academy of Pediatrics says that the amount of screen time that kids should be on, like kids under adolescence, is two hours, I think, which is just, that's not what happens. That's not realistic, but that's what they say uh, before you get some kind of um, a negative effect on them. Social media is a biggie. Social media is, a, I think, a really big problem for affecting confidence and self-image, especially with girls because they're being compared to unrealistic other images. So that, yeah, we can go on and on about what the problems are. And I think the solutions are that we need to be set the example and we need to be aware of what they're doing and how much they're doing it. And which means we have to be around and paying attention to what they're doing, where they're doing it. And again, when they're younger kids and they're in the house, it's easier than when they're teenagers, you sort of start to lose that kind of control or influence. Julie, there seems to be so many more special needs children these days. So many children are diagnosed with ADHD and there's autism. There's, you know, all kinds of uh, difficulties this way. How do we deal with our children when they're diagnosed? And the second question is, should we have them diagnosed? What about labeling? Yeah, labeling, I don't think is very helpful at all. In my book, I talk about the five elements which can describe your child, each child, with certain traits and characteristics in a very objective way without labeling. So many kids who are labeled as ADHD are in fact a wood type. And it's much more helpful to say, oh, I've got a wood type child, which has all kinds of great things to it without saying, oh, I got a hyperactive ADHD kid. So labeling is self-fulfilling both good and bad, but certainly when it's a bad label, it's self-fulfilling. I think that certainly medications can be helpful in certain things. I think with serious mental health problems, I think that a lot of kids um, are over-labeled as ADHD and over-medicated. But so there are ways to treatment for Asperger's. I understand that there are people that can help Asperger's kids navigate through life with their, with their challenges that they have. But Three things that can help a child's behavior if they're really hyperactive or if they're anxious or if they're oppositional. Psychiatry is not my specialty, but what three things that have a big influence are the food that they eat. And I'm not just talking about sugar and soda. Everything that they eat helps to promote a healthy gut, the lining of the gut, which is our second brain, the microbiome. And that can make a huge difference on um, cognitive abilities, but also hyperactivity, behavioral problems, the whole 
redoing how they eat and what they eat is a medicine unto itself. Chinese medicine says that food is your first medicine. Time outside in nature has been shown in studies to help a lot with ADHD and depression. In fact, in some countries, doctors are allowed to prescribe a certain number of hours outside in nature to treat depression. Rather than writing a prescription for a drug, they write a prescription for time outside in nature. And kids, I think, are lacking a lot in time outside in nature because they'd rather be inside on their devices. And I think that's a big problem. And it's up to us to have some kind of influence over that because the benefits of being outside of nature are just, I mean, you can Google it and the research shows it's just so, so beneficial. And the third thing is sleep, which a lot of our kids don't get enough of. They don't get a good night's sleep, which is more important than I think we give it credit for. And a lot of it has to do with them going into their rooms at nighttime with their devices and their phones and spending time on their phones. And even just even just looking at the light of your phone, even if you're not engaging on it, affects your sleep. So no devices in the bedroom. When it's time to go to bed, they go to bed. Having a sleep routine is super important. And that starts when they're young. But so food, time in nature and outdoors and sleep are three important things. Another thing that I want to add to the time outside and in nature is free play that kids are, there's a hope, I think, of new movement coming where where parents are encouraging free play rather than protected, can't go outside and do anything, free play, give them a, give them space where it's safe for them to run around and play with each other and not with, a, not with a parent saying, okay, you guys are gonna do this and these are the rules, but free play where kids engage with each other and huge social um, benefits to, to kids having free play with each other, with other kids. Great suggestions. I really like those three suggestions that you've offered. Now, I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time, so I want to talk about that. What advice do you have if your child comes home and and you find out that they they are being bullied? What do you do as a parent? As a parent, I I will say I'm not terribly, I don't have a lot of expertise in this. But I will say that it's important to listen to your child, hear what they hear, what they are saying, what their version of the story is, um, and give them your feedback. Listen and pay attention to what they're saying, what they're feeling. How to deal with bullies, I think, is a really tricky question, and I don't have the answer. I have heard that bullies are victims of being bullied themselves, certainly, and that bullies don't pick on people, kids, and you may want to edit this out. Bullies don't pick on kids that are victim. Our victims are allow, allow themselves to be picked on. So I would encourage a child to stand up for himself, not punch, but maybe, <laughs> um, but but stand up for himself and and fight back, fight for himself or herself. And again, I don't know if that's right, but that's what I've heard is the most likely way to because because. Bullies, I believe, they like to pick on weak victims, which is what they were at one point in their lives. And they were picked on as a weak victim by a parent or another bully or something like that. So that's what they've learned to do. So if the, so if your child is being bullied, if you can convince them and help them to learn how to stand up for themselves, I think that that will help with the bullying. And I know a lot of kids that benefit from martial arts for many, many reasons, but one of them being that they can stand up for themselves in a, in a very healthy way yeah and it adds a lot of confidence usually too doesn't it yes yep martial arts are really really helpful in all kinds of probably for all kids but even when there's problems with the child yeah i agree do you have a story yourself about bullying either from your perspective from one of your clients maybe one of your children do you have any any story that 
would relate to bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? I have heard stories, again, like I said, that, that parents opt to send their um, child to martial arts, which I think is a mindfulness practice in its own way. I don't know that much about it. Um, my kids, fortunately, were never bullied, but I think, boy, if we could get our kids to, and this would be part of the higher evolution, if we could get our kids to engage with a bully in a more mindful way, a gentler, without fighting back, yet still standing up for themselves, listening to what the bully's problem, you know, if they can get the kids to communicate in a way where they're really listening to what, what the bully's problems are, where, the, where this bullying has come from, um, that would be a huge step. That'd be great. I have not heard of that happening, but I think we should teach it. Have you used Chinese medicine with your own children? I want to talk about Chinese medicine for a minute because I find it very fascinating. Yeah. So Chinese medicine encompasses a whole lot. It's their whole philosophy on medicine and life and religion and culture. And um, acupuncture, I went to acupuncture school, which is Chinese medical school. And I have certainly used acupuncture on my kids. Um, and herbal medicine. They're not so much into the herbs. But the whole five element thing that I talk about in my book and parenting and behavior related to five elements, um, I definitely incorporate. I kind of parented that way anyways. But then when I became cognizant of what I was doing, having gone to school to learn Chinese medicine, I realized, oh, yeah, I, this is kind of the way that I did things anyways. So, yes, I do. I definitely I used I have the Chinese medicine in my head approach to so much in life to almost everybody I encounter. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Julie. And the first one is this. Who is one person who has been a really powerful influence in your life when it comes to mindfulness? Eckhart Tolle. Tolle. Yes, yeah. I'm going to see him live tonight, actually, in Boston. You, you are? Wow, yeah. that's yep. fantastic. The teachings of Buddha have done a lot with that. So the people... Those bigger people that teach mindfulness and, and consciousness. Um, yeah, a whole uh, Ram Das does consciousness. So there's a, actually there's quite an array of people that I have read and listened to. Julie, how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? I'm still learning mindfulness. I think we all are. I'm trying to practice it and perfect it, which probably will never happen perfect. But um, it, it helps in centering yourself not letting your emotions take over not or trying to get out of here where your emotions are or thinking about your emotions and your fears and your worries and your anger and all that but to be centered here and to breathe and to focus on the breath which helps to let those emotions go and then come back and deal with them when you're in a better place so it's more responding to emotions than reacting to emotions also Right. I recommend your book, A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution. And I didn't mention the subtitle yet. It's Raising Resilient, Responsible, Compassionate Kids from the Inside Out. And that book just came out in February. So Mindful Tribe, check out this parenting book, a really great book on the topic. And Julie, are there any other books that you would recommend in this area of mindfulness? I could go to my bookshelf and pull out all kinds of all kinds of books. There's an excellent book, The Blessings of a Skinned Knee, Blessings of a Skinned Knee. Ram Das, Eckhart Tolle, Thich Nhat Hanh. Those right. those are the ones that come to mind. The Blessing of a Skinned Knee is by Wendy Mogul. Mogul, that's right. Right. Yeah. 
Right, Wendy Mogul. Yeah, that book, The Blessings of a Skin Knee, that it really reminds me of my childhood because it seems like we had skin knees all the time. Yep. You know, we were always riding our bikes and falling and, you know, this happening and that happening. And we just got so used to it, it, it didn't really mean much, you know? Right. You picked yourself up and went on. And that's a lot of what the book is. It's based on the Jewish tradition of um, family. And she incorporates a lot of get your skin to knee it's a blessing because you learn to get beyond that you get a lesson from that skin to knee yeah definitely a lesson yeah that's for sure yeah well are there any apps that you ever use or that you recommend in your your clients that can help with with mindfulness um i think there's one called breathe and again i think that just going back to the breath i just started doing a um an online program with a Buddhist teacher who's all about breathing. And the whole course is on breathing. I only just started, so I can't tell you everything that it says. Any app that, that uses breathing and teaches you how to just close your eyes and breathe and pay attention to the breathing. And it takes practice at first, you know, you're even when the app is talking to you, you're hearing all the chatter in your head, but with practice, they teach you, you learn how to go back to your breath. And that's the fundamentals, I think, of mindfulness. Yeah, it really is. And uh, yeah, I was going to ask you a question about breathing. So you answered it before I even asked. So that's great. Breathing is so important, isn't it? And do you find with children too that you use that? Oh, yeah, definitely. You can teach them to, you can teach, have a, teach it with fun games about how to breathe into their belly and blow the dandelion seeds. And so, yeah, there's many ways that they, that, or there are some ways that um, kids can have fun or blowing bubbles and having the bubbles come out and using their imagination. They're great at it. They've got a great imagination. They, they'll <laughs> yeah. go with that a whole lot easier than adults will. That <laughs> is so great, true. Yeah. And it's a great thing to teach kids. It's a great um, tool, um, way of handling stress. And the earlier they learn it, the better it'll be with them for life. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit more about your book. When you started to write this book, what was your overall goal and how long did it take you to do this project? The book was in the hands of an agent for a year, trying to find a publisher, which he never did, which is why it's now self-published. So it took me about a year and then another year of sitting with an agent. And my goal has uh, with kids, it's, uh, I've worked with kids for so many years. Um, and I, I have a passion for kids. I think the kids just deserve so much not better or more than what we're doing. We're all doing the best that we can, but they deserve the best that we possibly can give them. And we are the ones that, that give them that chance because we, we are the ones that they refer to for everything. When they're young, we are their only source of reference. And so the book was to, to help kids, though, you have to help parents. <laughs> this was meant to help parents, to help their kids, to help their kids have a better chance and a better perspective on life. And part of that was also, I was very aware of the rising rates before the pandemic, but the rising rates of anxiety and depression in kids um, is really concerning. The rising rates of ADHD diagnoses, I just think the kids are being, I don't know. I think that they, they need to be given a better chance. We need to be aware of what it is that's, that's driving their anxiety and their depression and help them with it and understand it and work with them in a different way. Because what, what we're doing now, it doesn't seem to be working because the anxiety and depression rates are going up, 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 even without the pandemic influences. So I think that they deserve more from us to help them enter adulthood in a better prepared way. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I know that you you help parents and you coach parents. And uh, can you share a story? I know that confidentiality is huge, but can you share any kind of story with someone you've worked with that you've taken them from one point in their parenting to a new place? It's a small example, but it's, I think, a significant example. I um, was seeing a 14-year-old girl for headaches. I was giving her, treating her with acupuncture. And as an aside, the mother brought up her concerns as her daughter was depressed. Um, she said she doesn't have a whole lot of friends. She likes to spend time in her room. And so she was really concerned about that. So I went into the five elements with her. And her mother was what I would call a fire type, where she's really outgoing, um, loves to be around people, is active, active going, party. Well, not, yeah, you know, party socialization. That's the way she was. And her daughter was a water type. And a water type is a really deep thinker, philosophical, artistic, likes to be alone, does not like to be around a lot of people at all. That stresses them out. And so it's their water type. And she wasn't depressed. <laughs> she was a water type. So I helped the mother to understand her mom's element type and daughter's element type were very different. None is right and none is wrong, but to help her understand where her daughter's behavior is coming from. Behavior, it's just her way of being was her, was her water type element type. So yeah. that helped the mother to become aware and understand a little bit better that her daughter was not depressed, but that was just the way that she operated in the world. Yeah, that's that's a great story because we do have to understand that we're all different. Our children are not going to be the same way we are. They're not going to have the same thoughts, the same ideas, and, and the same philosophies in life. Now, your website, juliephillipshatch.com, juliephillipshatch.com is where we go to learn more. Tell us what we'll find when we get there, Julie. Well, you can learn a little bit more about me and ways to, well, it's a link to Amazon to order my book. There's um, a way that you can sign up for a free parenting consultation. I can, you can sign up and um, spend 20 or 30 minutes just talking about what's going on with you and your child or what's, what the problems are. Um, and then see if there's anything that wants to happen from there. So you can, so there's parent coaching starting off with a free consultation. There are my podcast episodes are on there. Um, I blog on there. It's all about, it's really all about parenting. I also have a page for my acupuncture business just for putting everything together onto one website. People that are wanting to have a parent consultation, they're not looking for acupuncture most likely. But anyways, it's all there. And so everything about me um, is there. Right. And I didn't mention that the name of your podcast is Mums on a Mission with Julie Hatch. Yep. So yeah, check that out. Yeah, Julie, what would be a final word of wisdom that you would have for a parent out there who feels like they'd like to use a little bit more mindfulness in their parenting? Yeah, I think that, um, like I said, take the time to really connect with your child, listen to them, look at them. Um, and I mean, really connect and listen to them, really listen to them. But I think even more so is mindfully taking a breath and relaxing and lighten up a little bit and step back and play with your kids, play more and yell less and just, just sort of pay attention to how, how you sound, how you're being. And it's all really important. Parenting, I think is the most important thing in the world, but yet we don't have to be all rigid about it, but relax, take a breath, enjoy it, enjoy your kids. Cause it's gone before you know it. The time, the time is over. They're out the door into adulthood before you know it. So it's really important to lighten up and enjoy it or try to. <laughs> I really like that. Play more and yell less. 
That's awesome. And yeah, just use as much compassion as you possibly can. That's what yeah. I think too. So thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today, Julie. Well, thank you, Bruce. It's been a pleasure being here. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Okay, great. Thank you again. Well, thank uh, you. Yeah, it was really good to talk to you. And yeah. you're, you're very down to earth and very real. And that's that's so important. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. And you're a very easy interviewer to talk with. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, would you be able to share this out once it publishes? Absolutely. Yep. Great. I will send you an email about when it will publish. It'll publish within the next three to four weeks. Okay. Okay, and yep. uh, I will send you some social media images and okay. uh, and some suggestions how you can share it. So that would be just great, Julie. I would love to share a mindful podcast with everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. okay, have a great rest of your day, Julie. Thank you, you too. Yeah. Okay, bye. -bye. bye. Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us here on the podcast with this episode about parenting with Julie Hatch. I found her to be such an expert and just so down to earth when talking about parenting and how we can be better parents. And speaking of parenting, well, I've had a lot of children reach out to me and tell me how much benefit they're getting from some of the little videos I've put on TikTok about finding peace and letting go of anxiety. And so I'm really, really happy that this is helping people. So you can find me on TikTok under Mindfulness Mode and check it out and let me know what you think. You can leave a message right on TikTok, right on those videos. Or of course, you can always email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.